Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Women have a long history of being labeled mental, psycho, and crazy. And of all the universally shit things women go through, being called crazy is one of the most long-standing ways used to silence and discredit them. From Hamlet to Jane Eyre to Gone Girl, the theme has been reinforced over centuries. Every week on this podcast, I'll be talking to a different female about their experiences. We'll delve into the ridiculous things said to them by lovers, colleagues, and just about anyone with a smidge of prejudice, as well as the ways they've learned to deal with them. This week, I'd like to introduce the wonderful and sickeningly talented Helen Monks. <laughs> Helen is an actress and writer known for Raised by Wolves, Upside Crow, and she's also the artistic director of her own theatre company. Hi, Helen. Hello, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I thought maybe I didn't put enough stuff on there actually because there's like quite a lot I'm blushing (laughs) thank you thank you so much for being here no a pleasure thanks for having me I appreciate it so can you think of the first memory you have of being called crazy or psycho or being made feel a little Mm -hmm. bit mental so I have been really protected all my life by my parents who encourage madness and (laughs) (laughs) encourage Outside behaviour and yeah. imagination, I guess, is another word for how I would view the way that I've been viewed to be crazy as imaginative. Um, the first time I remember being slightly outside this bubble when my parents really, really like encouraged it was going around to a friend's house and um, she called to say, just to let you know, when you get here, there is a pigeon stuck <laughs> in my mum's <laughs> chimney. And when I got there, I like tried to help get the pigeon out the chimney and I really wasn't very helpful. But apparently um, my friend said just before I'd arrived that her mum had said like, the last thing I want coming around to this house is Helen with her crazy imagination. Like that's the least helpful thing that I can think of. And I remember thinking I'd never heard the word imagination be used in such a derogatory way. as though it was negative. Yeah, as though it was an insult. And also surely... crazy imagination would be exactly what you'd need to help get a pigeon out of a chimney a little bit of outside the box outside the chimney thinking outside the (laughs) (laughs) chimney and we're off we're off (laughs) um so I remember that and I remember there was you know there is definitely a different world to your kind of domestic world and the outside world and I think that's definitely true for little girls where you can just be the most imaginative crazy version of yourself in your own bedroom but then as soon as you're put out into the world you're suddenly a bit judged for it and that can be quite um quite an experience and how sad for that little girl that her mum equated crazy and imagination in the same sentence oh yeah she's all kinds of messed up (laughs) I'm kidding I'm kidding if you're listening but but it is true her her mum has an outlook that has definitely affected the way that she has narrowed her behaviors yeah I mean she's amazing she's an amazing person despite it her mum is also lovely her mum is just a victim of having been made to feel like that when she was a little girl where you're kind of you're told to behave a certain way and think a certain way and 
Yeah, uh, it can really impact you and then impact mothers and the message they pass on to their daughters, I think. And that's an example of it. It's such a safe space when you're little as well and you don't know what is considered crazy. Yeah, I think it can go one of two ways. So for me, I went to an all-girls, I went to the most amazing school in the world, (laughs) Swanshurst, if anyone out there went. It was Swanshurst. Swanshurst, Sluts on the Hills, we were also known. I think most girls' schools are known as Sluts on the (laughs) Hill. We weren't even on a hill. Um, (laughs) It was uh, 2,000 girls, comprehensive, like, it was just, it was so... I can't explain the kind of electric atmosphere of how naughty girls were and how mad girls were and just ruled the roost. And that was my kind of version of normal. And I really think that was the making of a lot of girls who went to that school was the fact that naughtiness, I think my teachers would maybe beg to differ, but I felt was actively encouraged. Like rule breaking felt like you were constantly seeing how far you could push things. Um, And we were all... Mental. The fire alarm went off every single day, and we would all cheer and run into the playground because then you wouldn't have your lesson anymore. Did somebody pull it every yeah, day? Yeah, every day until eventually the teachers were like, "This is really costing us quite a lot of like classroom time." So then there was a really hardcore policy, which is if you set off the fire alarm uh, and there's not a fire, then you will be permanently expelled. Oh, wow. So the next day, these year eights created a fire they set fire to one of the notice boards because that was a way of getting around the rules and so that was kind of my experience growing up was literally setting fires and trying to be as as rebellious as possible and then I went to a mixed sixth form college where I remember it was my first experience of boys really I mean I'd gone to drama groups and stuff but it was my first experience of boys who really judged mine and other people from Swanshurst's behaviour because it was not their experience of how girls behaved. Yeah, we it didn't fit into the roles that they described Exactly. And I remember being so confused why the boys spoke so much more in the class. And also I was very confused why I was no longer allowed to be the class clown and to be making jokes and to be funny. And I think that was another way in which I was made to feel like weird and mad was like, oh, she does kooky, you know, she tries to be funny. That's yeah. another way that you're really strange and a bit loopy loo. Um, and I think there were two ways that we could have gone. And I'm so proud of all the people from Swansea. What we actually did was we rose to the challenge. And the more people would try and put us in that box, the more we would try and make them feel deeply uncomfortable. Sounds incredible, this school. Sounds like St. Trinian's. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it was. I think I have to be careful because I think if you weren't quite outspoken, it was quite easy to get lost in there. Like I had a really good experience because I was one of the people who was like bending the rules and being loud. I can imagine if you were a bit quieter and you just wanted to get your head down and get on with your work, (laughs) it might have been quite horrendous. Um, But it was, yeah, it was kind of the making of a lot of really rebellious girls, which I was really proud of. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, So interesting you say like that women are made to feel like they can't be funny, like men are class clowns and women just come across a bit mental. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think that was true of our school as well. Like all the sort of class clowns were boys Mm. and if you put that sort of quite over the top very physical behavior Mm. onto one of the girls I mean which would have never happened at my school all the girls that fit into their quite neat female roles of like wearing the short skirts and giggling in the corner that's interesting you'd have been an outlier 
you'd have been like, that's crazy. Because like, you wouldn't have been sexually attractive. I do think that has, and you know. I has was, everything to do with it. it. When you're a teenager, it is the most important thing is that you, I mean, f- for me, <laughs> it was where you, so I was very lucky that the environment where I was at school, I mean, I don't agree with single sex schools, but I did have a privilege going to one because yeah. it meant I was not worrying about you know, being a heterosexual woman and being in a single sex school meant that I wasn't ever thinking about whether or not I was sexually attractive. That wasn't how I valued myself at all. Whereas as soon as I was outside of that circle, the boys at the school gates who just would all stand and wait there for us. Suddenly creepy. Creepy. But literally the behaviour would completely shift. No one would wear makeup in school. And then in the last period of the of the day, I remember girls would sneakily plug their hair straighteners into like in the geography classroom and be straightening their hair under the desk and be putting on makeup and be shortening their skirts because the boys were waiting outside and the behaviour would become smaller yeah. and shift and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be picking your bogey and sticking it on someone else's textbook anymore because you want to be fancied. Yeah, right. We normalise our behaviour so that men view us in a certain way. Like, yeah. I used to do it. Well, I mean, I'm sure I still do it. That was my experience with schools. I, I always went to mixed-sex comprehensive schools mm. and being viewed as attractive meant not being too crazy, not being too outlandish, like keeping it cool. Isn't that so frustrating that that completely is the opposite for boys? I think this is, you you put it well with the comedy, a lot of it's physical. And I think the same with like aggression or sport where boys being physically aggressive or, you know, physically big or bold or whatever is the bad boy kind of attractive thing, particularly when you're that age. But a girl being aggressive, you know, in a sporting field, if a girl was to lose her shit, yeah. lose her mind and, you know, trying to hit someone or whatever, like a, if a boy did that, you'd go, ooh, bad boy. And if a girl does it, you go, oh my God, she's lost her brain. She's yeah. gone crazy and stay away from her because she's a loopy lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think you see it play out, you know, like there's been the whole Serena Williams thing with double standards in sports where it's, and that perpetuates into adulthood where you've got Serena Williams you know, being angry about the fact that she's lost a match or expressing herself in what people view to be an aggressive manner. But you see it in football all the time, male football, oh. where they're literally... And they throw strops about yeah. it as well. And that's still, they're still these sort of manly men, but they're there throwing their arms about, like getting in people's faces. Yeah. like The freedom to totally express, if you feel furious about the fact you've got a red card, to be able to just go... and really fully express that physically and verbally if a woman does it on the tennis court then there's headlines of her there's images cartoons drawn of her that are frankly very racist and uh, those double standards just are so ingrained in us that I think we don't even realize that they're there and you're right I conform to them totally yeah and I really but the thing is I really hope we don't realize they're there a lot of the time like a lot of the people responsible for putting out this media and this literature Mm. especially about the Serena Williams thing like when she did that Nike advert mm, recently, yeah, yeah. that was literally about why is it okay for a man to be angry, but the exact same behaviour on a woman is crazy. Yeah, Like it all contributes this horrible image of a dangerous woman yeah. because she doesn't fit into what we think women should fit into. Mm-hmm. But the same behaviour in men is just like, yeah, you go get them. <laughs> go get them, tiger. It's not even reported. No one no, even right. thinks twice about it. But I think you are right. I think people don't realise that... Because the whole thing about unconscious bias is that you don't know yeah. it's there. It's unconscious. 
I think what is what is really hopeful is, I mean, the very fact you're doing this podcast and with Serena Williams, like I know a lot of people were very offensive, but there also was a big stink and a big yeah. outcry about why this is really wrong. And it's raised a lot of awareness about double standards in sport. I do think that we're starting to make the unconscious bias a bit more conscious, but it's hard to then actually demonstrate that in your day-to-day life and shift your behavior as a woman i find it really yeah. hard not to be incredibly polite to everybody <laughs> which i, and I think nice. is still good isn't it yeah. like i think if everybody made was doing that i think that's a nice sh- what if we all shifted to just You're being right. like incredibly polite to each the other the men should shift their behavior <sighs> yeah. not the other way around you don't need to become more aggressive to be fighting against mm. the patriarchy mm. Getting back onto you. Oh, yes, me. <laughs> yes, this is all about Helen Rance. So you do lots of different things. You're mm. an actor and a writer mm. and you run a theatre company. Do you think your different jobs, you have different, people have different perceptions of you in each role? Are you treated differently Yeah. by the men at work as an actor? Or are you treated differently when you're directing something or when you've written something? That's a good question. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I think I'm in a very fortunate position where I've never, ever had a proper job. (laughs) Like I've never had to conform to anything. You know, the fact that I co-run my own theatre company means that I get to set the precedent of how I behave. Um, I very much encourage crying in the workplace. (laughs) Um, and, And as an actor, obviously, a lot of the time that is also encouraged because your whole job is to be emotionally responsive and um, and sometimes to literally cry. Um, I think in terms of writing, I'm on my own, so I can just behave however I want to behave. Yeah, that is nice, isn't it? I think the times I felt the most out of place are for a lot of the plays that I co-write with Matt Woodhead. We do, it's all verbatim documentary stuff, so we do a lot of interviews. And it makes me realise how much I'm not ever in those kind of public spaces. So going, for example, to the House of Lords or to MPs' offices to do interviews, I think a lot of it also has to do with literally looking like I'm 12 years old and being a tiny little lady who's often in like a big baggy jumper and not dressed appropriately. But also, you know, there's a certain formality that I am just not very good at. And I feel like there's a tendency to be infantilized is that how you pronounce that word I just really was like I don't think that that's how it's said as soon as it (laughs) It came out of my mouth I was like go with it go with it do you mean made to feel like yeah like like an like yeah that definitely does happen people constantly underestimate um me and I think that can sometimes really work in my favor because you then get away with saying a lot more and doing a lot more and pushing your luck a lot more because, oh, I'm just doing it for a school project. <laughs> oh, let me into the House of Lords and then I'm going to use that interview in my play. <laughs> um, but I definitely think it does. So in that capacity, it works in my favour. I think in the acting world, I think often I'm slightly cushioned and protected and people are anxious about pushing things too far. Why? Because you're quite emotional. I think because emotional, small lady you know I will cry at things and I always try and tell people I'm 
I cry everything and it doesn't mean that I'm like having a big overreaction to the thing that you've just said. Yeah. I just am crying because I'm always <laughs> crying. But also I just think, you know, physically I can go within myself a bit if I'm in a room full of men or full of people who are very famous. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think I can sometimes get really protected in that, um, which is probably just people being nice. But obviously it then you, I think this is the thing with crazy as well. I think as soon as somebody views you in a way, you then become that. So I think as soon as somebody views me as being uh, shy and delicate. delicate and weak, I then completely go within myself and become that person. And likewise, if somebody views me as being bonkers, like at a party, if I say something and someone goes, she's mad, then I suddenly play into that as well yeah. and I become that. So the way people view you completely then affects the way that you alter your behaviour. Yeah, totally. And that's definitely true in all the different kind of roles that I play within my jobs. Um, and it's literally the roles. So if I'm whatever character I'm playing in something will really determine the way that I behave in that room. And it's why I really, really loved Raised by Wolves where I played Jermaine who was just bonkers but didn't realise it and just loved herself meant that on set and in rehearsals I was able to just be completely bonkers and not judged for it at all but if I'm playing a you know a maid number three there's no way I mean it's not appropriate for me to then start talking about masturbation in front of everybody that's part of it but also you know you do then just completely become the role that you're cast as don't you? yeah definitely so I, yeah so I think in art like we have a duty to represent women really well because it does then reflect how we behave in the real world as well yeah I think as a as a response to often being because I'm not I'm not that short I mean you're five foot nothing yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm still like don't have the don't have the stature. You're a you tiny person. You don't have slender. the presence. Yeah, like not that slender. I don't know yeah. if I can let that one slide. <laughs> she is, guys. It's <laughs> me. Um, but like, for example, when we came to see an episode of Upstart Crow. Oh yeah. My partner and I came to see an episode of Upstart Crow, which Helen is in and is fantastic in. Oh, stop it, you. And uh, in the green room afterwards. I was very, I'm a massive fan of David Mitchell. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was stood there with my partner, Dave, and some other very, like Dave's six foot four and some other very tall men. Davis um, and your boyfriend, not Davis and David Mitchell. Oh, yeah. He was also a very small man. <laughs> Classic. Me and, oh, me and Davy Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> me and my partner, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, not that I would mind. Yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, that was the circle and everyone was sort of, it was a very odd moment where everyone was sort of going around this circle and saying to him how great he was. And I think one of them was his producer. They were all definitely people that knew him yeah. apart from Dave and I. And, um, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, it was a great episode. It was fantastic. Like, you, you nailed it. It was really great. And I knew that whilst people were going around the circle... I, no one expected me to say anything. Mm. Like it wasn't. That's true. No one was wait. No one was going to get to me and be yeah. like, "And what did you think?" Yeah. But that's that's so what happens to me all the time. It's people protecting you. Yeah. At, from being embarrassed about the fact you probably have nothing to say. That's exactly it. I get it all the time where they kind of they they skirt over it and it's politeness and it's trying to protect you and it is really nice. But you then are forced to be in a position where you make the effort to say something. I to know. Verbalize something. It was quite awful because because in response to that, when it got to my turn, she said no inverted commas, I said, well, I only thought you were okay. Oh, God. 
no memory of this. Oh my God. And <laughs> that's amazing. And none of the other men, including my mortified boyfriend, laughed. <laughs> but then David Mitchell laughed and everyone sort of oh. was like, oh, yeah, sure. He's but, so lovely. I mean, honestly, the greatest guy. <laughs> but, and he said, ha, well, uh, well, fuck you. And then we, and, when, and then I laughed. And I felt like, oh, I mean, it was so a risk. Nice. It was a risky little game, but there's something in that like forced silence like I could have yeah. it would have been so much easier to say nothing yeah and maybe what I did say wasn't the best thing to say I think that's great <laughs> I'm so proud but you feel like you, you should take the opportunities where you can find them mm. to actually say something and say something that is different and that matters and that yeah. has an impact but that's a lot of pressure for one <laughs> tiny <laughs> little lady <laughs> what's that Monica quote that's like the worst thing she ever says is when they're playing football and then, and she's being really aggressive. And then suddenly Ross turns on her and she's like, no, I'm just a tiny little woman. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, you can't. You ruined it. You can't have it both ways. You can't have that image anymore. I remember that circle and I remember being really impressed because that was my third year of doing that show and I was finally <laughs> able to speak. And you just came in and you were just like chatting like you knew what you were doing. And I, I was, I, it seemed very natural. It's really interesting to now hear you having consciously made that choice. Yeah. Because I think we also do that. We look at other women as though they know what they're doing oh 100 percent. and that's how i looked at you all evening i was like are you joking I, I wish i like knew what to say or where did, where did where should i put my hands in this conversation <laughs> see i remember saying very loudly like i'd said something very embarrassing and nobody laughed or responded and, and then i said and i will repeat this moment for the rest of my life and take it to my grave and david mitchell very kindly laughed and was said something funny and nice but I just I remember being really mortified it but, is so yeah. embarrassing and it happens to me all the time because I always like that one kind of paid off but it doesn't always oh god it really doesn't always and occasionally I feel like a little bit of a liability in social mm. situations because I can't stand to play the the role that I think that people think that I, sh I should be playing so I'm like well I should just say something that half the people are going to find funny and yeah. half the people are going to find deeply offensive I think that's fabulous <sighs> I think that's great it just means you're going to be awake every night cringing about all the things oh, that you've said yeah it, I have bad insomnia and a lot of it is just thinking about the times when it didn't go well yeah yeah like, the ones where it did are great stories but the ones where it didn't I just die a little bit inside you should you should definitely try and focus your brain on the times that it does go well because yeah. it is worth it it's worth it for the times that it does it's victories and it's but also it's being it's being funny and it's and it's being likable and it's being you know I'm, I think it's a really impressive strategy and one that I hadn't realised I definitely also do. I just not necessarily yeah. intellectualised it in the way that you have very astutely <laughs> and articulately done just now. Oh God, aren't we just so supportive? We're so like, supportive. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You said something when I asked you to do this um, in an email that was something that I, I really wanted to be able to agree with because I, I see it in, in friends and I have a, a few male friends and lots of female friends and well not lots <laughs> well some um but you said men who can't who don't want to be viewed as crazy who don't want to take on those sort of feminine attributes of being in touch with their emotions mm. feel like they can open up to other women a lot of the oh, time yeah and and that has never happened to me like no man has ever been like do you know who's super emotionally available 
Rachel, <laughs> I should tell her about my problems. Like it's never, I've Honestly, never really count had your blessings, mate. <laughs> I feel so bad about this because I think it's really important that men start to talk about their feelings. That yeah. would do us all a favour. They'd stop merging us. It would be great. But I do find it really challenging that I think maybe I overcompensate and I really present as emotionally available. Like I really make a big thing about the fact I'm emotionally available. Yeah. So that might be why I get it more. Um, Because I want to be and I like talking to people like I'm not saying you don't, but like (laughs) for particularly female friends, I think it's really important to be supportive and have a network, blah, 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 blah. What then drives me bonkers is men who don't have anybody to talk to because men haven't learned to talk to men yet. And so they offload all of their emotional baggage onto women and then you have to keep it a secret for them. And and it's happened to me, but but actually... More so, it's happened to a lot of friends who are on dating apps where they will go on one date with a man and he will, you know, sometimes be crying or feel like he can open up because it's almost like women have this way of talking and understanding and empathising as though men biologically don't have that. And it's it's like, I really just want you guys to be able to talk to each other and leave us alone. (laughs) Also, I do just want to say for the record that any close male friends who want to talk to me about their problems, please definitely do. I more mean just like people that are in the pub. Do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Random men on the night tube. Yeah. Like those are the ones. But you it? are right. And I think what the times when you see male friends talking to each other and being emotional with each other, it is the loveliest thing in the world. It is so nice. And works really well. And yeah, we should encourage more of them being I think we we demonize this word madness and craziness as well which is like calling a woman mad it's interesting I was reading the dictionary definition of mad and I think it's really interesting how it can mean so again when I was asking friends and family for examples of when I've been mad they were they wanted clarity of whether that was mad crazy or mad angry yeah and it almost feels like you know, the two are intertwined and to call, you know, if a woman's being angry, you can call her mad and it can mean both things because they can conflate. And then in the dictionary definition, it also said an example is when you're really happy about something, i.e. he's mad about football, which I just thought was really, I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think like there's an attitude with the word mad around of negativity when emotion is is something that's like mental health related or angry or upset. But what am I saying? No, I mean, I'm into it. Also, why is it that it's okay? Like obsessive behavior is really valued in men. Like oh, he obsessively collects cars or like model trains. But if a woman like obsessively collects cats then she's crazy crazy cat woman crazy cat lady crazy cat lady yeah right and there's a joke in that like the women well it's the idea isn't it like it's the whole bachelor spinster Mm -hmm. idea as well like it's the idea behind this podcast which is named for bertha mason in jane eyre the mad woman in the attic yeah she is i mean she is actually married but she sort of exemplifies the whole idea of that old spinster actually like the the sort of madness that comes with with age and not being that sort of young fresh thing that Jane is anymore and not being validated by having a partner and being silenced as well like something that really a short story that stuck into my head Mm. so so much like I still think about it all the time was the yellow wallpaper yeah um by Charlotte Perkins Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it, you said um, in your email back, and I was like, I know. The whole culture 
I mean, in, it's a very, very short story, um, a few pages. And, and I recommend it, guys. Oh, Give God. it a read. Please read it. I'm, probably, I'm going to put a link to the PDF yes. in this um, in the bio because it's she just sums up in one horrible, quite disturbing short story the entire cultural history of women being silenced mm. because of their madness. Mm. Any woman with a creativity or a freedom of expression doesn't fit inside the societal roles of the she's the mother or the matron or the housekeeper. Mm. Any woman who doesn't quite fit in any of these deserves to be, needs to be silenced. And in the end, she is driven mad. She becomes the role. It's like you were saying earlier mm. that they that they prescribe for her. Mm. Um, she lives up to their mad woman. It's, it, it was, a re I loved reading it because it was the first time I'd read, I think I read it at school and it was the first time I read a mad, a woman who becomes mad where I can completely empathise and imagine being that person. They weren't, it didn't feel like this outsidery, demonised, you know, crazy, yeah. like monster. It felt like, oh my gosh, it's her brain finding like she sees things dancing in the wallpaper and it's like she's finding meaning in this small contained space that she's been prescribed and she's like it just it's really it is it for for people that haven't read it and you should the premise is a sort of a, a married couple um who have a baby rent a sort of big colonial mansion so that the wife can get some rest their physician and her husband has <laughs> has said world. yeah right <laughs> has said that she is is mad, hysterical, and needs the rest cure. She needs to be shut away with absolutely no external stimulus, never to see her baby. I mean, it's the ultimate gaslighting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, that's exactly what's happened. And the whole way through, she's like, oh, dear, dear John, like, it's so, it's terrible for him to have to have a mad woman as a wife like me. I do wish maybe he took me a little bit more seriously but it's all my fault yeah. but it's done so so cleverly mm. and I think that's probably because it's based on her own it's sort of semi-autobiographical mm. like she was prescribed the rest cure they said never pick up a pen or a paintbrush oh my gosh, or anything you again in your entire life and she tried it for about three months I think and she was like I came as close to madness as I I can't we'll even ever begin to... Before you've got anything like Twitter as well, yeah. and you're just in bed and you can't pick up a pen, I can't imagine not being able to verbalise or write down yeah. the things that are in my head. Not to have guests, not to have anybody to... I mean, that would drive you mad. Of course. And that's probably... It's torture, that is, yeah, that is how they torture people. Yeah. Shut them in, in... Well, yeah, exactly. It's like the hole in prison, isn't it? It's like, put them in the hole. Just yeah. solitary confinement. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly what they did to women who they believed were... Hyster I mean, they called it hysteria, but, but crazy and yeah. they're going psycho. And I remember reading it and thinking it frightened me how easy it was to silence her mm. and how little autonomy she had. I remember being wary of it still, like for years after of how I was coming across and how people were perceiving me. So you didn't get locked in the room. So, but like, I know, I know no one's going to lock me in a room. Well, you don't, <laughs> that's, to be honest. That's true, that but is Jen, true. There's a thin line between, and this is the thing that I think, again, positive spin is that we are slightly changing our perceptions of mental health, that it, it, it you know, anybody can become yeah. mentally ill. It's not like, you know, it can affect anybody. And, and in most cases, it will affect most people at some point in their life. 
I think what I find so, again, positive is that there is now a word for what that woman in the yellow wallpaper went through, which is gaslighting. Yeah. Now we can put a word on it, which apparently comes from, again, a, a piece. Or a, is, a book. Yeah. What a book that it? was made into a film. What's it called? I can't remember. There's some Googling going to have to Yeah, happen. the film was called Gaslight. The idea is that her husband says that he's leaving the house, but he's actually going into the attic. Um, and so she can see the, the lights and the walls, the gas lights moving because yeah. there's someone in the attic. And then he comes home. I'm using air quotes. And um, she says, you, you need to go into the attic. There is someone up there. The gas lights have been moving. And he goes, you're mad. Go to bed like you've made it up. And I just think that as a story, along with the yellow wallpaper yeah. of like prescribing someone madness, you know, yeah. telling someone they're mad and therefore, of course, you're, you're going to become mad. If somebody tells you that you're seeing something that isn't there, yeah. then you will become insane. You and, do. Um, and now that there's a really prescriptive word for it, it's so great because anybody who's in that situation, as we all know, many people who have been gaslit or are being gaslit by partners, you can immediately you know alert them and in this word just a word that sums up what they're going through yeah language really like opens us up to being able to help each other i think it really does that's such an interesting way that i'd never looked at it before like they didn't actually they didn't have the the register surrounding proper ways to to articulate what was happening they didn't literally have the words to say what was happening to them because we hadn't got that far yet yeah (laughs) we hadn't been able to really understand what was happening to us and uh, and men weren't coming up with the words for it, were they? <laughs> it is interesting. I think that is so fascinating about how language has control over us. And, you know, it's true with in terms of women not going to school and not being able to read and write. And it's true in terms of um, the woman who wrote the yellow wallpaper not being allowed to pick up a pen. Yeah. Like language has a way of really liberating us. And I think words being created that are for us and that... I know men can be gaslit too, but that explain the way that you're feeling. Because if you don't have the language to sum something up, again, you must just feel mental. You must feel trapped as yeah. well, like it, because it's all still going on up there. It's all still going on in your head, yeah. but you just can't get the words out. I mean, that would make you feel mental. Yeah. I forgot what a word was earlier. I couldn't think of the right word that I wanted to use. Yeah, and then and you're f- trapped. And for literally 30 seconds, I was just silent. Like, <laughs> that's it. That word has gone out of my head now. That's it forever. I can't ever describe that feeling yeah, again. Yeah, I have that about 70 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> I just fall out my head. <laughs> Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. So I have a friend who's being gaslit at the moment. She, and this is the problem as well. Now I said the word's really helpful, but it's also very frustrating because telling her she's being gaslit is another way in which she's being made to feel mad because her partner is telling her that that's what right. I'm going to say. Yeah. So she, so she's in this abusive relationship basically where he's making. I just think this is something that happens to women all the time, where your response is what's wrong rather than the thing that's happening yeah, absolutely. to you is like, what's wrong. So his like emotional and at times physical abuse is 
being made to feel like it's her problem because of how she's responding to it. And I think that is like, again, the ultimate gaslighting where he's saying, you're really perceiving this all wrong. Like yeah. you're really over over dramatizing this and making something out of this. And, and as a result, you're going to lose me. And that threat of like losing him. And it's so upsetting because obviously trying to find the logic for your friend so that she feels empowered to get out of that situation is really tough and not adding to her confusion with how you're saying that you're being gaslit. But also I just think she kind of sums up for me something that we do as women all the time, which is we constantly doubt how we're supposed to be behaving. We've said it a lot, but it comes in relationships. It comes in the workplace where we always feel so much guilt all the time. The Catholic guilt that I've inherited from my mother. She's not Irish. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I enjoyed it and we're definitely keeping it. <laughs> oh, please. Um, yeah, I do. I have inherited this Catholic guilt, which she always talks about. But And she always says, oh, God, I've got the Catholic guilt from my mother. And actually, I realised, no, we just have female guilt, which is this yeah. constant feeling responsible all the time for how everyone else is feeling and holding that responsibility it can manifest in really ugly forms when the thing you feel responsible for is somebody who is horrible. It sounds, it must be a horrible, horrible thing to watch as well for you on the outside because you can't go in, you can't tell somebody who hasn't been able to see it yet for themselves. Yeah. Oh, I do. (laughs) This is, this is too dangerous for you. Get out, get out now. Like it's so hard. I mean, I do say that all the time. But but it doesn't, like has she done anything about it? No, it doesn't. And you must, I mean, I think we've all had this, we've all seen friends in situations where it's not even sometimes about their mental well-being. they're physically in danger. Yeah. And trying to articulate that without sounding mad. This is the other thing is I sound, sound mental because yeah. I'm saying, you know, two women a week are murdered by their partners and a majority of those women have reported their partners or have been in Relate therapy. Um, sorry, Relate, because they do good things, but, you know, have been in couples therapy and saying that to somebody who's next to this person who they can see all of the good qualities in them. Because yeah. people who, you know, abusive partners aren't just scary men in back alleys. They can be compassionate and nice and they can do nice things for you. Yeah. But they can also put you in a position of real danger. But you sound mental going, this person could actually cause you serious harm. I know. And it does. But they're like, this person that bought me breakfast in bed this morning and that tells me that he loves me and he's yeah. the only person that loves me. Yeah. And I need him. Yeah. They create this culture whereby they're the only person yeah. you can really trust. Yeah. But you obviously can't. And I've I've had to watch friends do it before and and it's just so dangerous. And I think even nice, happy relationships, women especially, like I know I do it, where you just feel, okay, how should I be acting right now? Because I know how I want to act. I know how I feel mm. and how that would come out. But I don't think that's how I should be doing it. I think I should be acting a different way. I think I should be pretending like I don't mind or... Yeah. acting a bit more chill about it yeah. you know it's just so holding that responsibility yeah. and it's nice to have compassion and to be concerned for people I think like you said at the beginning it's just about encouraging everybody to do that so because yeah. often you hold the responsibility I find it all the time in big groups of particularly like men where I will really hold the responsibility for making sure everyone feels really like happy and is having a nice time in yeah. that social situation and no one else actually is asked <laughs> and I'm like oh maybe I just shouldn't bother them but I'm like but of course I care that everyone isn't coming away just feeling awful about how you know yeah I just want people to have a nice time yeah. and if we all held that responsibility then you wouldn't 
doesn't have to be such a crazy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much, so Helen Wright, for joining us. That was fun. really, really fun. Send my love to your friend. If oh, you can. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, will. I hope, yeah, I was going to say I hope she hears it, but I don't know if I do. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you updated. All right. Thanks, Helen. Thank you. <laughs>